Well, it's good to see all of you today. How's everybody doing? Everybody hanging in there? You glad it's spring? Yeah, amen. Me too. Me too. Well, welcome to New Life Church today. So thankful for each and every one of your lives, each and every one of your families. You know, being able to, we've been able to leave this part of our sanctuary set up uh, right now, and it's been nice to be able to come in and pray in here and pray over each chair, pray over each one of you as, um, as we walk the sanctuary, just seeing your faces and thinking about you. Just want you to know you are being prayed for. People are praying for you. This, our leaders love you, um, and we're, we're mindful of you, and we are thankful for each one of your lives and um, what God has planned for each one of you. Well, listen, let me invite you to open up your Bibles, or if you've got other devices that you can turn to, Matthew chapter 6, and then in Luke chapter 5. Matthew chapter 6, and then again, we're going to be over two more Gospels in Luke chapter 5. I want to welcome everyone online who's joining us from a distance. We love you. We're thankful for you. Thanks for taking the time to tune in and worship with us here at New Life Church. And uh, if you're tuning in for one of the first times, we invite you, if you're local, to come and hang with us here at 1030 on Sunday mornings live if you can. Well, every, uh, every year we like to go through uh, what we call our core values. We started these at the beginning of the year. We sprinkled them in. We've got six core values that we like to talk about uh, that kind of define who we are as a church and kind of help steer us in the, in the direction of moving forward in our faith as a church. As, as we embrace over here to my left the gathering, the gospel, and the Great Commission uh, core pillars of our church, and we've talked about two core values so far this year, and we're going to talk about a third one today, and the plan is to talk about the other three between now and summer, and um, today we're going to look at a core value uh, that is called stewardship guided. It has a, it's a value that we hold dear to us as a church. We believe it's a very kingdom-minded Value basically talking about making margin in our life for the kingdom of God, for his purpose, for, for life. And, and so that's in, in essence, that's what we're going to kind of get in on today when it comes to stewardship. Don't let the word stewardship frighten you, scare you, uh, or any of that kind of stuff. Think, man, uh, I don't even know what that's about uh, or what, it, what is God asking of me. And so we're going to get into that a little bit today, but I, I kind of want to set it with that, with that statement Stewardship guided, I think, is really kind of boils down to just making room, making margin in our life for the kingdom's purpose and what God has intended, how, he's in, how he has laid that out for us as individuals, for his families, uh, his relation, relationships, uh, in all aspects of life. Our, our theme for this year as a church is moving forward God's way, and uh, that's part of what these core values kind of help do. They kind of help steer us in that. Let's look at our first text in opening this up in Matthew chapter 6. It's right in the middle of one of the most famous sermons Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, uh, in his meticulous way, has a way of, of writing this down. And some 30 years later, he wrote this and has somehow remembered a lot of these things by the help of the Holy Spirit. And right in the middle of this sermon, right in the middle of this teaching, we find these words in verse 19. Jesus saying, 
Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Down down verse 33 probably one of the more famous verses that is quoted and memorized. Seek the kingdom of God first above all else and live righteously and he, God, will give you everything you need. So Matthew writes this, what Jesus preached and in essence Jesus is telling us, invest your life into the kingdom of God. You will not be disappointed. You will not be let down. You will not come out empty. But in fact, if you seek first and aim your life at the kingdom of God above all else, Jesus is letting us know, hey, everything you need God the Father will provide for you. And this is in the context of him telling us not to worry. You know, don't worry, not be happy, but don't worry. That's a later song that came out. Don't worry how when we invest our life into the kingdom, we're really not going to lose. We're not going to come away without we're actually, going to act, we're actually going to gain and we're going to have everything that we need in our life for what the Lord has called us to and how he calls us to live. The message translates it this way. Listen to this in, for, for, for verse 33. It's not on the screen, but it says this. Don't worry about missing out. I read that not long ago and it reminded me of you know that, that, that acronym, FOMO, fear of missing out. I don't know if anybody's heard of that, probably have, but missing, fear of missing out. A lot of people have this fear that they're going to miss out if they serve God. Going to miss out on all the fun, going to miss out on the adventure, going to miss out on getting my way, going to miss out on a relationship, going to miss out on a job, going to miss out on an education, going to miss out on this or that. Fear of missing out if I go all in with what God has, but the reality is, You're going to get everything you need based on what God has called you to and how he's called you to live and the purpose that he created you for. And so Matthew here writes that and the the message translates it, don't worry about missing out. And it goes on, it says, you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. But how often are we robbed by fear because we're afraid all of our everyday human concerns will not get met? I think so, oftentimes when we hear the word stewardship, we think instantly money, right? But I want to propose to you today that Jesus was not just talking about money. And we're going to look at a story here in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount was early on in his ministry when Matthew had, the way he had tailored this and wrote that. And then this story in Luke 5 is also early on in the ministry of Jesus as he's preparing to call all of his disciples put together his team and what he has planned for them. And we're going to look at this story in Luke 5 with addressing stewardship guided, what that means with this question. The title of today's message is, Can God Use My Life? Can God use my life? And maybe you've wondered that. Maybe you've asked that question. 
I think a lot of people have asked that question. What can God do with me? Or another way, what am I here for? And then if I'm, what am I here for? What, what, how, can that, how can I accomplish that? How can I go forth and live that? How can I be that? How can I do that? What can God do with my life? I have a past. What can he really do with me? I have trauma. What can he do? Can he really use the fragile me? Can he really use my life? And then the answer is yes, but we're going to talk about it. I talk about that a little bit today and help answer that in more hopefully a more fuller way. Stewardship, God using what we have, making room in our life for his purpose. God calls all of us to be conduits for him as he will pour into us by us giving him our time, our talent, and our treasure. And that's what I think more... Uh, more of in the terms of stewardship that it's not limited to just money but we also we have to look at it in the terms of our life we have time we all have time and also talent our strength our skill our giftings and then we have treasure we all have these three every single one of us we have time we have talents and we have treasure and God uses what we have. Let's look at verse 1. Luke chapter 5. Everybody there? All right, let's look at this together. It says, one day, can you say one day? Just want to make sure you're with me. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them And were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who is also known as Peter, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. Right off the bat, this story teaches us Jesus uses what we have. Peter, in this instance, is the owner, the focal point of this story at the moment. Peter had time, said he was done working, cleaning their nets. The boats were empty. Peter had time. So Peter had a talent. He was a fisherman. And then Peter had a treasure. It was his boat. And Jesus uses what we have. He uses what we have for his purpose So we can't sit around and think and compare ourselves. Well, if I had what they had, if I were more like them, man, if I had that skill, right? We the Bible teaches us throughout different occasions to not compare ourselves among ourselves because of what that can do. But Jesus uses what we have. We have time. We have talent. And we have treasure. Can you say that? I have time. I have talent. I have treasure. Then look at what happens in verse 4. So Jesus uses that time, talent, and treasure for his purpose. His purpose at the moment was to teach the pressing crowds who were all on him. And he's like, I can't possibly stand on this sandy seashore and for everyone to hear me 
what can I do? And he turns and he sees these two boats, one of them owned by Peter. And he says, hey, let me holler at you for a second. Would you care to push us out a little bit into the water? And they pushed him out into the water with his boat. And he turned and he could teach the crowds his purpose. But that's not where the story ends. Where the story goes, verse 4. It says, when he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Now, I want you to go out where it is deeper. Let down your nets to catch some fish. In verse 5, Master, Simon Peter replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Jesus uses what we have, but then Jesus takes it a step farther. And the thing about him is he always takes our life a step farther if we're willing to go. We, in our finite minds, think this is what he was after. This is what he was up to. This is what the Lord was wanting to do with me right now in that situation. And yes, true, but he always has more in store. He always wants to go further down the road. He always wants to take it a step further. And he takes it a step further, and he's like, I think his intention here, as we will find out, is let me show you what your life can be like if you will steward your life for my purpose, for what I created you for. Let me show you, if you'll just go all in with me, and you say yes to me, and you go ahead and begin to make that conscious decision of your will to just say, whatever you want from my life, I will do it. And however you want me to live, that's how I will live. Wherever you want me to go, that's where I'll go. If you will steward your life for my purpose for you, let me show you what your life can look like. It first starts out, go out a little deeper. Cool. I can go out a little deeper. No harm, no foul. Boat doesn't have a hole. It floats. I'm a fisherman. It's all good. We're not in a storm. No big deal. Let's go deeper. Let's go. Let's go out. Let's row it. Let's do it. You get deeper. A place where you don't have control. A place where you have to be dependent completely on Jesus. It wasn't unfamiliar territory. He was in a boat. He was a fisherman. He's used to the sea. It's not a big deal, but then it's the next step. Let your nets down out here where it's deeper for a catch. Okay, I, can, I know how to let my nets down. It's not a big deal, but, but let, me, let me let you in on a little secret, Jesus, in case you didn't know something. Let me explain it my way to you. We've been working hard all night. We've been fishing all night. We've been out in these waters all night. And we came up empty. We didn't catch a thing. 
right? Oftentimes we feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit to lead us to do something for someone else or to be obedient as James opened the service up with, just to be obedient in something. Maybe it's just to pull away to get quiet with the Lord. Maybe it's to open up a passage of scripture and read it. Maybe it's to call somebody and pray for someone or maybe it's just to pray for someone in general or maybe it's to actually go and do something for somebody, whatever it might be. And we're like, man, I've been there. I've done that. I read that. I know that. I memorized that a long time ago. I got this. And, 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 and now, you want me to do it again? You want me to do this thing again? But let me tell you, before I do that, Lord, before I entertain the idea of maybe saying yes to that, I just want you to know I've been doing that. I've been praying. I've been reading. I've been serving. I've been giving. I've been tithing. I've been occupying my life with what you want. And, and I've tried to be mindful of your, of your desires or whatever it is in the needs of others, and so on and so forth. But just want you to know I'm tired from doing all that. But if you say so. And I think that is where Jesus wants us to live. He totally has no problem with us telling him how we really feel. He's much bigger than we are. He can handle our feelings. <laughs> he can handle our emotions. He can handle our outburst. But if it will get us to that point to just say, if you say so, that's what he's after. That's what he wants. I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm broke, I've been working, I don't have what I came out here to do, I haven't accomplished what I thought I would get, my latter years of life are not what I planned for, the relationships I have right now are not what they once used to be, the way things are in my life are not as smooth as they once were, whatever it is, tell the Lord, because you know what he's after, but if you say so. If you say so. If you say so. And I think that is really where Jesus wants us to live. Fine, tell him all the things. So long as your heart will get you and you'll come to a place of, but Lord, if you say so. Because I'm out deep, I'm not in control. I have to trust what you're telling me, even though I don't really get it, I don't understand it. You're not giving me that much insight on this. <laughs> I like to know the plan. I like to know it all up front. That way I can make some contingencies. I can have some bailout moments, you know, where I'm good with that. <sighs> but if you say so, isn't that hard sometimes to just say, okay, if you say so? Right? As parents, we tell that to our kids. Why do I have to do that? Because I said so. Why? Because we know what we want to see happen. And we know if that reaction or that reply uh, or that response will be what it needs to be, the outcome will be what it should be. Right? And then the story unfolds. And that's what I want to leave you with today in these next three hours, okay? I want to make sure you're awake, Brandon. Make sure you're, you're not sleeping on me, man. Didn't mean to call you out on, on recording there. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> you never know. 
And this is where the story unfolds. I want to leave you with these five thoughts here. These spotlights that I think this, that uh, Luke shines his light on. Luke's a physician, and he pays attention here, and he's, there's these five things. I'm, I'm going to call them five benefits of stewarding, stewarding our life for God. Five benefits of stewarding our life for God. Making room in our life for the purpose of God. For what he has for us. What he wants to do with us. Because we have one life. But that life. I know, I know life goes fast. But we do have one life. And we don't know how, how much of a life. In terms of time. But the Lord's looking for us to give him all of that. And let him have his way. Because ultimately. For him to get the glory. And for it to be for our good. Let's look at verse 6. Peter said, if you say so, and then here's what happens. Verse 6, this time, remember the time before, nothing. This time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. That's huge. That's massive catch. The way they would catch fish in the nets. So much fish, and those nets were not thin. Those nets were thick. Those nets were, they could hold a lot. And it said, so much fish that their nets began to tear. Here's the first one. First benefit of stewarding our life for God. One is we get blessed. We get blessed. And yes, we get, should be excited about that. That should do our heart well. That should encourage us. But it's what the blessing ultimately leads to that we can't, rem- we can't forget. And that's what we're going to find out today. We get blessed. You know, we cannot ignore, God cannot ignore the kingdom law that he implemented of sowing and reaping. What a person sows, they shall also reap. Take a look at these couple of passages here. Look first in Galatians 6. Galatians 6 verse 7, Paul writes, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will, uh, will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So... Let's not get tired of doing what is good, sowing to the Spirit. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Take a look at this other one in 2 Corinthians 9. Paul, again, writing to the believers in Corinth about a specific offering for the believers in Jerusalem. And he writes this, and he kind of, kind of writes it as a reminder, even though he doesn't need to write, write it as a reminder, but yet he does write it as a reminder to remind, because we kind of forget that, hey, this is what happens when we live our life to steward for the Lord. Look at verse 6. Remember this, he says, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. The one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who just gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. In verse 10, for God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and bread to eat it. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then, a produce, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Just explaining, hey, the kingdom law and principle of sowing 
and reaping, it applies not only to money, it also applies to our time, and it also applies to our talent. Then when we invest our life generously into the kingdom of God and what his purposes are, there will always be a reaping that comes back. In the story in Luke, Peter came to the place, if you say so. And when he said so, that's all the Lord needed to hear. And the Lord showed him immediately off the bat, I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to, you're a fisherman, you may have some back taxes you got to pay. You may have a lot of people you got to feed. You got things, you, you got some employees on, under your table that you need to pay for and, and all these things. But listen, I want you to know something right off the bat. So many fish, their nets began to tear. It's like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to show you that when you give up all of you, you, you don't lose anything. You actually gain. And here's what I mean by that. He goes on. The next one. Verse 7. says, a shout for help brought their partners. Peter's like, hey, I got so many fish. It's tearing my nets. I don't know what I'm going to do. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, the other one that was empty. Soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. You know how incredibly hard that is to do, to try to sink a boat with fish in it? Fish, fishing boats that were made to contain fish, meant to hold fish. So many fish in both boats, they were on the verge of sinking. The second benefit of stewarding, stewarding our life for God is we get to bless others. Now, I know sometimes in our carnal nature, we can say, if I were blessed with so much, I would give so much to somebody else. And the intention may be true. The intention may be right. But when given the opportunity... How often do we actually do it? But the answer in this, the story in this, when Peter said, yes, okay, if you say so, Jesus said, I'm going to provide for you. I will bless you. But in blessing you, here's what I want you to understand. It's not just for you, Peter. It's not so you can build up Peter's Paradise Resort fishing just so you can make a name for yourself, just so you can have it all for you. Just so you can do what you want to do. So no, listen, I want to show you something. I, you're a conduit. I bless you, and through you, you can bless others. Take a look at this. Go all the way back with me. Look at the screen. Go all the way back with me to Genesis chapter 12. This originates with Abraham. Look at verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Abram, before, this was before he changed his name, before the Lord changed him, it said, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. He said, I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. The blessing that the Lord spoke to Abraham was not just for Abraham. But it would be for all those who would come after Abraham. In other words, when you hear, the, you hear the, the phraseology, or at least you used to hear it a lot, depending on 
who you're around. I'm blessed to be a blessing, right? Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever heard that? Raise that hand. Let me get a one, let me do three. Okay, thank you. All right, yeah, I'm blessed to be a blessing. And man, I used to hear that. I used to think, what in the world does that even mean? Blessed to be a blessing. I think oftentimes we say it, don't realize what it means. But really what it means is that, man, I'm stewarding my life for God. I'm going to open my life up for whatever the Lord has as he gives and puts into me. I'm going to make sure that I am a conduit and letting him flow through me to be a blessing to somebody else with my time, with my talents, and with my treasure. Whatever it is and however God wants that I will be a blessing. Not only does God meet our needs when we live to steward our life for him and provide for us, but then he, he, he calls us to be a blessing to other people's lives. Let's look at the story. Verse 8. So the boats are on the verge of sinking. Everybody's being like, what is going on? And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. This is Simon Peter. The third benefit of stewarding our life for God is we get it. What do we get? We get it. We're privileged and not entitled. We're privileged and not entitled. We understand that, man, I don't deserve what I get, but because of God's goodness and his grace, he blesses me. He helps me. He takes care of me. We get it. We don't, live, we don't live entitled to something, but we live privileged. We recognize all that we have comes from God. Every aspect of it. We live in an entitled world. It just happens that way. Our, when sin entered the world through disobedience in the beginning, entitlement came in. Thinking, man, I see it, I can have it. Right? I do what I got to do to get what I want. I'll step on others. I'll take from others. I'll cheat others. I'll manipulate others. I'll do whatever I got to do to get what I want. Or I'll throw enough big enough fit till somebody gives in and gives me what I want. Right? I mean, unfortunately, with social media, you see so many little clips and videos of all these outrages and all these things happening, sometimes, to, to, unfortunately, to the loss of life sometimes. Because we live in an entitled world. But in the kingdom of God... Under the lordship of Jesus Christ, under the reign and king of our Jesus, we don't live entitled. We live privileged. And when we live privileged, we get it. We get, man, I don't deserve for you to fill my boat up to the point of sinking with fish. My livelihood just changed. This is a game changer. This is a, game, this is a life-changing moment in Peter's life. So many fish, he has not seen this kind of catch ever before in his life. Ever. Life-changing, game-changing moment. And he gets it. 
right off the bat, I don't deserve all of this. I don't. I really don't. But you love me, Lord. You love me. Here's how Paul talks about it in Philippians. Take a look at this with me in Philippians 4. Now, keep in mind, Philippians, Paul writes from a prison cell. He's not writing from the luxury hotels on the Greek islands. He's writing from a dark, deep dungeon of despair. And he writes this in his, when his, one of his final letters, prison epistle. Look at this, verse 10, chapter 4, Philippians. He says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. He said, I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. He said, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Now, Paul, why you got to put that in there? Because that stings us here in America, doesn't it? <laughs> Verse 12, I know how to live. This is Paul saying it, not me yet. I haven't li- I, I, I'm like Paul back in chapter 3 where he's like, I, haven't, I don't mean to say I've already achieved. I'm still pressing on. I'm still trying to get this thing. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Holy cow. (laughs) I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty with plenty or with little. I wish I could say I live like that. Because it sure is easy to, to say that when you've got a full stomach and when you've got plenty, right? But man, and Paul knows. And he says, but here's how I do it. And so this is a great reminder. And when we go all in for the Lord... We're trying to answer that question. Can God use my life? Lord, I'm stewarding my life for your purpose. You mean I'm going to have to go through some stuff too? Yes. Yes. How do I do it? Verse 13. I can do everything... Through Christ, who gives me strength. How do you make it through it? Somebody ever asked you that before? How did you make it through that time of your life? I know we try to maybe try to dress it up. Really, it just boils down Jesus. What happened? What's hard to explain is just that there's this strength he gives. There's just, this, there's just this strength that kind of rises up when, when I didn't know how to do it, when I got the news that this was going on, 
when this was really affecting me, when it, when it personally hit me, and I had to go through this, and I had to go through that, how did you make it? I do everything through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. Friend, I think one of the greatest testimonies of our lifetime is when we're weak, Christ is strong. Christ is strong. That's crazy right there, man. How do I do it? How do I live privileged and not entitled? Recognize if it weren't for Jesus, I would be not, I would have not, I could not. And that's where Peter was finding his life for the first time, where he had toiled and labored and sweated and probably put people off, may have probably told a few lies to tell people to get off his back so he could try to handle his business. And for the first time in his life, he said yes to the Lord. And when he said yes to the Lord, all these fish popped into his net and into his boat, and he saw how, man, when he said yes, somebody, some of his friends, his partners got blessed because of his yes. And then he came to the realization that, man, I don't deserve to have all this because, man, if the Lord knew what I had been doing with my life, if he just knew my past, if he just knew what I had done, if he knew how I treated them, if he knew how I handled that situation, he sure wouldn't be putting all these fish in my net right now. But because of his grace and his goodness and his love for me, he's like, all I want you to do is say yes to me. And it changed his heart. And then verse 4, i got to hurry. Verse 4, excuse me, number 4. Verse 9 and 10. You guys okay to, for me to finish these? It's just two, two more things. Okay. Verse 9. Peter was awestruck, amazed by the number of fish he caught, as were the others who were with him, his partners, James and John. They were also amazed. Talking about the benefits of stewarding our life for God. We get blessed. We get to bless others. We get it. And number four, we get to be amazed at God's supernatural provision. (laughs) You know, there are just some things that you just can't explain that God does. There are some things that just don't make any sense. (laughs) You try to find the adjectives and the descriptive words to give to something the Lord did, and it's like, I can't even try to write about this or talk about this because what you just did makes no sense. People of faith are not bound and limited to the natural environment. God will take what is natural and touch it and cause supernatural things to take place. There's a story all the way back in 2 Kings. I'm not going to, I'll try to do my best to tell you about it real quick. It's with the prophet Elisha. There was a widow who was, whose husband had passed away. He was in, a, in the ministry circle with Elisha. He had died and she came to him and said, you know my husband, he served you and he, he feared the Lord and, 
And he's like, yes, what's going on? Well, he, you, he's passed away, and now I've got all these creditors after me, calling me left and right, trying to get me to pay up. If, and they're threatened, if I don't pay up, they're going to take my two sons and make them their slaves. I don't know what to do. And Elisha said, well, what can I do? And then he says, what do you have in your house? What's on you? What do you have? She's like, well, nothing really except a flask of olive oil. He's like, that's enough right there. That's all you need. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back home. I want you to borrow as many jars as you can from your friends and your neighbors. And I want you to take you and your son, shut your door in your house, and take that flask of olive oil that you've got and just begin to pour it into those empty jars and then seal each jar off as you go through it. So that's what she did. She went home and her sons, they started doing that one jar after another. She filled one, give me another one, filled one, give me another, filled one, give me another one. And it went on and on and on and on until they had no more jars left. And it said that the uh, flask of olive oil stopped flowing. One flask, many jars. And so she went back to Elisha and said, now what do we do? I've got all these jars full of olive oil. And he's like, go sell them, pay your debts, and you and your sons live on the rest. And that's exactly what she did. There are just some things God does that they just, they don't make any sense. It's just hard to talk and to explain. How could a flask of olive oil fill up all of these jars and have enough for me to sell, pay off all my debts, and then have enough to let, live on? Well, there's another story in the New Testament that's actually recorded in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. With what? Five loaves of bread and two fish. Right? Five thousand men, not counting women and children, so it's probably safe to say somewhere in the neighborhood of easily ten to twenty or more thousand people there. Jesus finds out one of the disciples found from one of the one of the um, gospel writers said a little boy had a little knapsack, a little picnic fix with five loaves of bread and two fish. They asked, "Could I have that?" And they took it and said, "All we have here are five loaves and two fish. How's that going to feed all these people?" And Jesus is like, "Just let me show you how I'm going to feed them." Have everybody sit down in groups of 50. He took the five loaves and the two bread. He blessed, he touched it, he blessed it, he broke it. He gave to the disciples and said, now go give out to everybody. And they went and gave out to everybody. And it said everyone ate until they were filled and they were full. And there were actually 12 baskets left over. How many disciples? 12. The fear is, Lord, if I give all this away, I'm not going to have enough for me. Right? If I, if, I, if I give this, if I, if I sow my time in this scenario, I'm not going to have enough time to do what I want to do over here. It works with time, it works with talent, and it works with treasure. There are just some things that don't make sense. How can God take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people? God takes and uses what we have. We all have time. We all have talent. And we all have treasure. 
And then we get to just flippin' be amazed. That's probably what I would say. I did. Just be amazed, right? And number five, here's where the story ends here, but really it just begins. This is the beginning of the rest of their life. Verse 11. Jesus told them at the end of verse 10, hey, I know it freaked you out. You're amazed. But from now on, you're going to be fishing for people. And they got back into the, to the shore. It said, as soon as they landed, it said, they left everything and followed Jesus. The fifth benefit of stewarding our life for God is we get Jesus. We get Jesus. Meaning our life has meaning. Our life has purpose. We live our life and we can leave a legacy. And a legacy is what others can accomplish because of your life. What can be said about you when you pass away that someone else can say, man, because they live for God, I am able to do this with my life for the Lord. They left everything, meaning, hey, they're going to steward their life for the purpose of God. And we have the rest of the story. We get the inside view <clears throat> to read about how all of them had their mishaps. <laughs> Every single one of them Jesus did not call perfected people. He called people in their flaws and their issues. And what he did was led them every single time to a place, to a decision. If you say so, Lord. If you say so. All right, let's do it. If you say so. And that's where he calls each of us to get to a place in different parts of life, different seasons, different situations. Say, all right, if you say so. Now, near the end of his ministry, Jesus tells us one of these final parables that Matthew talks about and writes about, Matthew 25. The parable of the three servants. And he likens it, he said, in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is illustrated in this way. Meaning this is how the Lord views life in his kingdom. He said, a man was about to go on a long journey and he gave three of his servants some things. He gave one five, uh, five bags of silver, another two bags of silver, and another one bag of silver. He said, each according to their ability. And then that man went on his long journey. Each of those people were given time. They had a talent. And they were given treasure. And they were given opportunity to do something with their life. The question is, what will we do with the life God gives us? And the one with five invested his life into the kingdom. 
He earned five more bags. The one with two invested his life into the kingdom, earned two more bags. The one with the one bag did nothing with his life. In fact, it said he went and dug a hole and hid his in the ground. Did absolutely nothing for the kingdom. The man returned, wanted to see his, what his investment had produced. What did they do with the life they were given? And he noticed, he said, the one with five gained five more, and the one with two gained two more. And to the two of them, he told them, hey, well done, good and faithful servants. You may now enter into the joy of your master. And the one with one, he's like, what'd you do? And he said, I did nothing with my life for you. He said, what you have will be taken and given to those who have, and for you, you won't have anything. And you will not enter into the joy of your master. Can God use my life? The answer is yes, but the answer is it depends on how we turn our life over to him. Because see, he's going to use each of our lives in so many unique and different ways. If I had the time, I could talk about a lot of you and how you have impacted my life. And how the time I have been given with you so far and the conversations I've had and the meals I've had and the celebrations and some of the defeats. Shared life experiences. But how the Lord has used you to touch me. But the question remains, man, what are we going to do? What will you do with the life you've been given by the Lord? I want to invite you to stand as we close out, I'd like to pray. I want to pray this prayer, and this prayer the Lord put on my heart for you, for all of us today. I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm not going to ask you to repeat the prayer. I'm just going to pray it. And as I pray it, if this is, touches your heart, if this is an area where the Lord is like, hey, I'm trying to get you just to say okay to me, if you say so, Lord. I don't understand why I'm here. I don't know why you brought me here. I don't know why you put me here. I don't know why I'm in this place. I don't know why I'm doing this thing. I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through right now. Or I don't even understand what I went through last year. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around some of the things that happened last year. He's like, that's okay. It's just, will you say okay to me? And so I'm going to pray this prayer kind of based on that. And if it hits you, just agree with the Lord in it. And let it be personal for you. Jesus, we thank you today for the love that you have for me, for us. You have demonstrated your love by giving your life for mine. Your sacrifice created an open door and an invitation for me to surrender my life to you and to accept your love, your forgiveness, and your purpose. Today, help me to truly steward my life for your glory and your purpose. Because ultimately, your purpose, God, is my purpose. Help me, Holy Spirit, day by day, step by step, to just let go and to let the Lord use my life. 
May I grow in faith and trust in the Lord to walk not by sight, but by faith. Lord, I hear you calling me to go deeper. You're nudging me right now. Go deeper. To let down my nets, to trust you, and to just go with you. I choose today to do that. So lead me, guide me, order my steps. I give you my heart today, Lord, and I love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to sing this chorus, I give you my heart. And I want to invite you to sing that with us today as we let this song kind of seal the word and seal our prayer to the Lord. And I want to ask you to consider maybe going a step farther. And if you want to know more about taking further steps forward in the Lord, if you'll text Decided NLC to the number 97,000, that doesn't go to some rando, that goes to us. We'll be able to follow up with you and make contact with you and help walk with you forward in Christ. Lord, I give you my heart. So oh. 